Now come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As you know, our theme for the year is evolving in Christ toward eternity. Evolving in Christ toward eternity. And we're talking about growing in Christ. We should be getting better. We should be getting closer to Christ. We should be becoming more mature in Christ. Now, uh, sometimes life will throw you into a setback uh, in your growing in Christ. And if you and, if you and I were honest today, we'll know that we, we would admit that there have been periods in our life where we have a setback, where you find yourself in places that you are, you, you're wondering how you get in this place. You know, what, what am I doing here? Uh, uh, how come my faith is not is not what it needs to be. How, how did I ever get to a point where I'm thinking like this? How have I ever gotten to the point where I'm, where I'm behaving like this? And that's just a setback. You can, what you do is when you, get, when you fall back two steps, you get up, you dust yourself off, and keep growing in Christ. It is a journey. It is a journey. And though some people may act and behave as if they have made it to the destination, please be advised that your walk with Christ is a journey. You get better with time. You get closer to God. Now watch this. Whatever you do, don't stop moving. Don't stop growing. I know you made this mistake and that mistake and this bad choice and that bad choice and you've had this, that happen to you and, 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 and it was because of my upbringing and this and that. and that. Because let me tell you something. If the devil ain't messing with you, it's because you ain't going nowhere. The devil messes with people who got something going for them just like you get tackled when you have the football on the field no ball no tackle but if you dare to carry your faith and you dare to press forward and you dare to put your trust in God you're going to grow you're going to mature and the devil going to be mad about it and he's going to do all kinds of things he's going to send cousins and he's going to send aunties he's going to send boyfriends he's going to send people from your past he's going to bring up past mistakes there are going to be temptations and they're going to be trials and they're going to be tribulations, but praise be to God. Don't let these be things that bring you down. Let these be things that remind you that, ah, oh, I must have something the devil wants or he wouldn't be messing with me like this. And he would not be messing with you the way he does unless you have something he wants. So this year we're evolving in Christ. We're growing in Christ. It's a holistic growth where we are better than we were yesterday. Watch this. Even in our mistakes, we're better not doing them, but about them. Okay? Just in case there's somebody that's thinking, and you're thinking of your life, and you're thinking, man, I'm, I, you know, he can't be talking about me. I'm going to tell you, when you evolve in Christ, it doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. It means you, you look at your own mistakes differently. Do it through a different lens. And somebody said, well, you shouldn't make the same mistakes. Ah. Uh, you know, I, I, you know I, I heard that before, and I know I told a lie when I was about seven years old. But I'm not sure if that's the last one I told. No? Y'all don't get that? How many of you make at least one or two of the same mistakes every year? Okay. So it doesn't mean you don't fall. It's the direction you fall in, right? It's one thing to make a mistake when you're on your way to God and another thing to make a mistake away from God. In other words, my mistakes, watch this, they stop me, but they don't take me backwards. They, 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 they temporarily press pause, but they don't press rewind. I refuse to be what I used to be. Now, I might make a mistake or two like I, used to be, uh, like I used to make, but I refuse to be that person. And when you get in your mind that you're going to grow in Christ and you refuse to be that person, yeah, you'll make the same, some of the same mistakes. You'll say some of the same cuss words in the right situ wrong situation. But it won't be you. Y'all missing that. It won't be you. Amen. If y'all can't handle uh, candor, uh, let me just say this. Let me just say, before we read this text, like I said, I'm just going to talk and explain what the gospel is. 
the more real of a church we become is the deeper our ministries will get. We can't reach people acting like we can't relate to them. Hello? Every night, a few, a few years ago, somebody pulled me to the side and said, you shouldn't say that. You sound like you're encouraging cuts words. Are you kidding me? What time are you living in? They cuss on cartoons. Let's stop playing. I ain't got time for the fake, okay? I really don't have time for the fake. Well, yeah, yeah, if you got a TV in your house, stop acting like that. You can't even leave the TV on Cartoon Network. Anyway. Amen. 1 Corinthians. Okay, let's get into some theology. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, and so this month we're talking about evolving in our understanding of the gospel. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Now, <clears throat> I make known to you, brethren, the gospel. Everybody say the gospel. The gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, and which also you stand. He's, he says, I make known to you, brethren. And if you want to stand for the scripture, I'll slow down for that uh, as we honor the word of God this morning. Uh, he says in verse number two, by which also you are saved if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, <clears throat> uh, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, as of first importance, right? All right, first of all, what I have also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That's number one. Number two, and that he was buried. That's number two. Number three, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. You may be seated. It is important that we understand that the central message of the church and the central focus of the church is the gospel. What is the central message of the church? The gospel. Though as a church we want to be relevant in the community, though in the church we want to be relevant to the times we live in, we want to be sensitive to the things that people go through, we want to be sensitive to developing people around us and developing the community we're in, at the end of the day, the main business of the church is the gospel. Hey, Brittany. The gospel. Just like any other entity, entities are known for their main business. When you think of hospitals and doctor's offices. The main business of the hospital and the doctor's office is what? Health, right? When you think of schools and institutions of higher learning, the main business is what? Education. When you think of, uh, when you think of banks and when you think of investment, investment people and investors and, and money management people, the main business is what? Finances, right? Uh, when you think of the church and when you think of the kingdom, the main business of the kingdom is the gospel. Now watch this. There are other problems that we have to address that are in our peripheral, right? Peripheral, right? And as the church, we will deal with finances and we want to be holistic, right? We want to, we had an announcement last week about health. We have a finance team and finance things going on. Uh, we, we talked about last week we want to do a school. But please don't get it twisted. Even though we may tend to those other things, the main business of the church is not finances. The main business of the church is not health. The main message of the church is not, uh, is not education. 
uh, as far as school and secular education, the main business, the main focus, and the main message of the church is the gospel. Are you understanding this? Now watch this. In our pilgrimage to be relevant, let's be careful that we don't get caught up and become greater in our focus in another main message other than the gospel. Are you understanding this? Banks don't peddle the gospel. They peddle finances. Hospitals and doctor's office, they don't reach over into the gospel. They, they, they're, they're doing what their main message is. And my point is, as we evolve as the church, let's remember that our main message is the gospel. We can do a little something in finances to help us, but let's not forsake the main thrust of the church, and that is the gospel. Turn to somebody and say the gospel is the main message. Okay, let's be educated in here. Now, I'm going to be very elementary. I'm going to be very fundamental. Those of you who are scholars and, and erudites, erudites and, and, and professionals in the scriptures and those who, of you who are exegetical and homiletical and hermeneutical and uh, philosophical when it comes to scriptures like Brother Jones and Brother Winrow, this is going to be very trivial for you. But I want to teach this as if nobody knows it so that everybody gets it, Okay. The Bible here in 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing, now watch this, he is not writing to sinners, okay? He's not writing to sinners. What you'll find in the Bible, church, is that most of the New Testament scriptures that talk about the gospel are not talking to sinners, okay? In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He was not talking to sinners. He, weren't, he wasn't talking to people hanging on the corner. He wasn't talking to publicans. He was talking to the church. When he says in Romans chapter 6 that, uh, that, you know, what shall we say then? Should we keep on sinning because God's grace keeps on abounding? How shall we that are dead to sin? He keeps telling the church about the gospel, which means there's never a point, even in scripture, where the church stopped needing the gospel. So let's get our objective thinking out, which, mean, which says that they need the gospel. When you look at the scriptures, every time Paul brings up the gospel, he's bringing up the gospel to people who are supposedly already saved. He's bringing it up to people who are already saints. He's bringing, up, bringing it up to people who've already been to the water and been baptized because we, the gospel is not just something we hear and receive one time. We've got to keep on receiving it because it's not something that saves us, but it's something that is saving us. Are you hearing me today? He writes this letter to a troubled church. It was an immature church. It was a childish church. It was so childish. In, the, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, they were arguing over who their favorite preacher was, and they were, they were arguing over who baptized them, and they felt some felt they were better than others because Brother Steve baptized me, and Brother Jones is my teacher. Brother Thompson is my teacher. Brother Hamilton is my teacher. So I'm just, Jesus is my teacher, and they were just divided over personalities, and they were so divided over personalities that they forgot about Christ because as a church you have to be careful that you don't get so attracted to personalities that you forget who's the king of kings and who is the lord of lords and who's the lily in the valley let me tell you something in your life you better get it right you better be careful about being attracted to personalities where you have Christ-like expectation of people other than Christ that was one of their immaturities. In chapter 2, they were, had this strange attraction to the worldly wisdom, worldly wisdom over the wisdom of God. Those were, they, they were struggling. They, here they were struggling with the wisdom of the world and education. They, they were a typical church. And, uh, and uh, Paul had to bring them back to the simplicity that is in Christ. In chapter 3, they were so immature that Paul starts that chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, saying that I would feed 
feed you with meat, but you can't handle meat, so I've got to give you milk. Here you are with teeth in your mouth and can't eat meat. Mm, he didn't say that part, but it was, he, he was in essence saying, by this point, you should be chewing on something. By this point, you should be breaking something down. But because of your level of immaturity, I've got to feed you with something that's incongruent with your period of development. They were a very immature church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was a man that was sleeping with his stepmom. And everybody in the church knew it. And they gloried in it. What was immature about that? What was immature about that was that they did not take the right attitude towards sin. They pleasured it. It was, something, it was the talk of the town. And that is a very strong mark of immaturity for people to talk around you but not talk to you. They, they didn't confront it. They didn't deal with it. They gloried in it, and, he, and, and they, they knew it. And the man, and, and the, when I, the Bible says he had his father's wife, which means he had his stepmom, and that was an issue. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, they were taking each other to court. They couldn't get along. These are the things that immature churches went through, right? So they, they were taking each other to court, okay? If something happened, they'd say, I'll see you in court, brother so-and-so. <laughs> I see you in court. Well, let's see what the court. So now you had the people of God bringing matters that they should have been able to resolve among themselves, bringing their matters to people that didn't even know God so that people that didn't know God can help people that knew God resolve issues that were not of God. In chapter 7, they struggled with marriage, divorce, and remarriage because in that city, there was a lot of marriage and a lot of divorce and a lot of remarriage. In the city of Corinth, there was a temple there called the Temple of Aphrodite. And in that Temple of Aphrodite, there were over a thousand prostitutes, both male and female. And, the, and, and these people that were part of this church came out of the city. They came out of the city. In other words, they, they were living in Corinth. They were part of the city. They had the culture of the city, and they were baptized and, and, and converted and responded to the gospel call, and now they're in the church. And so quite naturally, some, sometimes some of the habits we had before Christ begin to resonate with us after we get in Christ. Is there anybody that did anything after Christ that you used to do before Christ? But because they were not growing and evolving, they had become comfortable with that. So they were changing spouses and they were joining themselves with harlots. And then it started messing with the marriages at the church. And so they had to deal this long, long dissertation in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 with marriage, divorce, and remarriage. In chapter 8, they were offering up things to idols. In chapter 9, they didn't want to support the work of the ministry. Here Paul is, he told them, listen, I, I would not... They they didn't invest in what they valued. Watch this. They didn't invest in what they didn't value. And because they didn't value, they lost the value of the gospel, they didn't invest in it. Because we stop investing in whatever we lose value of. Chapter 10, offering stuff to idols. Chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, they were getting drunk doing communion. Because you do know they didn't use Welch's grape juice. Right? It was a love feast. It wasn't what we have now with the cups and the bread and the very ceremonial. No, they actually had a feast together. They ate dinner together. It was, a, it was a feast. It was a love feast where they came together and they remembered Jesus. Well, some people were bringing food and some people weren't bringing food. It was a potluck and people were being selfish with their food and some people had more food than others. When you get a chance, read it. Then watch this. Then they had issues with women. Right? At the beginning of that chapter, Paul had to set it straight. Put, uh, now watch this. Now you say, well, that was a very chauvinistic society. No, no. Paul wasn't dressing it like this. Here's the, th here's the deal. The way God, this is what God says. Okay, I'm going to say what God says. It's not popular today, but God put the leadership of the family in the man. And I know there's somebody rolling their neck in their mind. You're not doing it out 
out here because you don't want nobody to see you, but you're rolling your neck and your head saying if the men would lead, then we would follow. At the end of the day, everybody's supposed to do their part. And guess what? Just because somebody neglects doing what they're supposed to do doesn't change what God said. They were having that kind of issue. Chapter 12, they were, they were going back and forth about spiritual gifts, and they had so much disunity. He had to tell them that by one spirit are you baptized into one body, and he had to tell them that the, he used the allegory of a body to show that everybody's not the eye, because if everybody was the eye, then where would the hearing come from? So this immature church had a big eye, little you complex, and it was messing with their unity. So quite naturally, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he brings up the subject of love because there was a love deficit. And whenever there's a love deficit, there will always be a deficit of maturity because where selfishness flourishes, love cannot thrive. Are you hearing me today? Where selfishness is flourishing, love cannot thrive because love is not selfish. And either selfishness will suffocate love or love will put out selfishness. And so he had to tell them, look, it don't matter if you have these gifts. If you don't have love, you're as sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. And he talks about love. In chapter 14, they, he, he addresses the gifts again. As a matter of fact, uh, they were getting all out of order. They were speaking in tongues. As, and, and when somebody came into the assembly, the people speaking in tongues didn't even have an interpreter. So you had people speaking in tongues and other people sitting there like, what in the world is he saying? This is in the church in Corinth. Yeah. Then, the, then the wives of the, of the prophets, of the ministers and the prophets in that church were, were beginning to become, uh, they're beginning to become, uh, become headstrong. And he said, let your women keep silent in the church. The situ what was going on? The situation was, and what you had was a situation where the men became passive and the women became aggressive. The wives became aggressive. And watch this. They were, they, they were taking a place that wasn't theirs. Amen. And that's not popular in the church today. But I'm not going to preach what's popular. I'm going to preach what was popping in the word. <laughs> not popular. This is what's popping in the word. So in chapter 15... He says on top of all of that, on top of all of that, the reason why this is going on is you forgot about the main message. He says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the what? The gospel. The gospel. Get back to the gospel. Get back to the foundational message. The gospel that I preach unto you. And the way the tense says in the original language is that which you have received. He didn't say you just heard it. You received it. You believed it. You took it in yourself. And it says wherein you are saved. And the tense in the original language doesn't say you are saved. It says you are being saved. Which means the gospel saves and it keeps on saving you. Which means you don't just need the gospel once. You need it all the time. Because it saves and then it keeps saving you. Now, what is the gospel that Paul talks about? This is what he says. He breaks it down. He says, What did I preach unto you? He says, I preached unto you, first of all, that Jesus died for our sins. Here's the gospel. Number one, the first part of the gospel core message is that Jesus did what? He died for our sins. Now, let me help you with this sin thing. If sin was not a problem, the gospel wouldn't be necessary. Okay? He died for our sins. Now, it, now there's a such thing called, there's a such thing as sin in action. The activity of sins. Okay? Uh, let me help you with the activity of sin. How many of you committed sins this week? Some of you won't raise your hand. You never participate in hand raising. You, I get it. I get it. You're above that. But there's, there's a difference. The gospel doesn't just, Jesus didn't die for our sin activity only. Sin activity is when you can name what you did. When you can say, okay, on Monday I lied and then I cussed out my boss when he wasn't looking. And then I, you know, I, I, uh, 
I got envious and I got jealous and I, I cheated, I stole. I, you know, that's that list, right? And all of us have that list. We don't wear it on our shoulder. We don't wear it on our backs. We don't get T-shirts with the list of our sins, right? But all of us have a list. And, and guess what? Though a lot of our lists look the same, our lists are different. Now watch this. You have the sin activities. That's the behaviors of sin, sinful behaviors. And sometimes when we say we've sinned, we're thinking about an actual behavior. Jesus died for those sins we commit, the, the, the individual behavior sins, the lying, the cheating, the stealing, the fornication, the adultery, the, the, the envy, the gluttony, right? And sometimes we don't even throw sins in there that the Bible calls a sin. You know it calls gluttony a sin. You do know that, that that's a sin, right? You do know that it's a sin, but nobody goes through their day saying, I lied, I cussed somebody out, I had four plates at the buffet. You know, we don't say that. But gluttony is a sin. As a matter of fact, it's one of the seven sins mentioned in the book of Proverbs. Uh, you know, so, so these are the activities of sin. So Jesus died for the activity of your sins, but not just the active sin, but he died for our sin nature. Now the difference between activity and nature is that sometimes the deception exists that if I don't do the activity, I no longer have the nature. Okay, now let, let me help you with that. That means just because you don't tell a lie doesn't mean that lying is not in you. Now, if Jesus only died for the activity, then we would by right be able to say that there are some people that need Jesus more than we do. All we have to do is call up somebody who is busy in their sin activity and compare ourselves to them. Well, he lies. He gets drunk. He, get, he smoked crack, he fornicates, adultery, steals. I don't do any of that. You need Jesus. You see that? And people do that. People do that. They do it in their cars looking at somebody's behavior. They need Jesus. And, and this is where church arrogance comes from. Because we... Oh, I'm going to spit. We start judging ourselves. I better calm down before I spit on Maurice Jones. We, God, anyway, I'm sorry, y'all. I'm just keeping it real. You can sit down now. No, 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 stay up, okay? So, so what we do is we start comparing activities. And when you compare activities, I can feel better than you. And I can feel like I got Jesus because I don't do the activities and you need Jesus because you do. But here's the problem. Jesus didn't die for our sin activity only. He died for our sin nature, which means even if we never tell a lie, even if we never get drunk, even if we never cheat or never steal or never fornicate, we have a nature that does not get along with the nature of God. And it took Jesus to die for not only our activities over here, but our nature in here it is not the outward that he dies for only but the inside anything that anybody does everybody has the potential to do let me say that again this sounds good anything that anybody in here does all of us have the potential to do don't get it twisted. I know how we get when we're watching the news. That's just a shame. That's just a shame. Or we're hearing about some. You can sit down. We're hearing about somebody else's business. And, you know, we get that. That's a shame. That uh, uh, uh. That uh, uh, uh. Anybody ever had that uh, uh, uh? That's that uh, uh, uh. Did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? And guess what? We start comparing activities. 
at the end of the day, we all need Jesus the same because while you're doing it, I'm thinking it and I don't want to think it. And even though I'm not doing it, it's still in me to do. Say amen if you understand what I'm saying. So when it says Jesus died for our sins, he's not just talking about the action of sin. He's talking about the nature of sin. Now, let me just tell you something about nature, and I'm not going to finish this sermon this morning. We have a nature that is spiritually, organically contrary to God. There are things that have a nature. Their makeup is hostile to other things. Okay? Everybody go to Ephesians chapter 2. Be educated in here. Let's watch this. Okay? Because you want, sometimes I know you wonder why I do the things I do sometimes. Right? And even if you don't do them, why am I thinking that? Right? And sometimes, you know, beige stands next to brown to feel white. But at the end of the day, you ain't white. And I'm not talking about color of skin. I'm talking about how we measure each other and how we compare each other. And we do this to feel better than other people. That's why we're not in the position to judge. The reason why we're not in the position to judge and condemn. Let me say judge and condemn. We are in a position to judge. The Bible says you know a tree by the fruit it bears. But we're not on a, in a position to pass judgment, to give a sentence. You know why? Because anything anybody does, we have it in us to do. Because there's activity and there's nature. Watch this. Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, let's start with verse number 1. Read quickly because we're trying to get out of here. And you were dead in your trespasses. Right. Sin. Paul says you were dead in your trespasses and sin. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. You formerly, talking to the Gentiles, which would be us. We walked according to the course of this world. In other words, we went with the tide, not against the tide, right? You throw a piece of paper or a bottle, an empty bottle in water, you know the direction that bottle is going to flow in? It's going to float in the direction of the water. It's just carried by the water into a direction. What, and that, that's the course of this world. The way the world go, went is how we went and how the church in Ephesus with at least the Gentiles read according to the prince of the power according the to air, the prince of the power of the air read of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience read among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh we formerly lived in the lust of our flesh okay let me tell you something there's an animalia in us and I'm not going to go through that illustration I do with that old song but all of us have a instinctive nature it is instinctive which means, watch this, which means uh, instinctive nature is impulsive nature. You don't have to think about it. No? You don't have to think about it. It's instinctive. You remember? You remember coming up or your children? You didn't have to teach them how to lie. As soon as you said, who did this? They didn't sit and think, oh, now let me see. If I tell the truth, this and that and the other. No, they, they, it, was, it was instinctive. They just lied. They didn't, they didn't analyze it. They, oh, I didn't do it. No, that wasn't me. It was, it was natural. Natural. What you want, to, 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 to chase what you shouldn't have, natural, read. Indulging the desires of the flesh. Indulging the, the desires of the flesh. And of the mind. And of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath. And were by nature children who were the objects of God's wrath. Come here, let me talk to your heart and your spirit. It means God's nature was naturally against our nature. Okay? What is that like? If you play with fire and it burns you, it ain't personal. (laughs) 
It's not personal. Here you are, you got a light in your hand, and you're, gonna, you, you're trying to play whatever. Watch this. Ah, that, that, fire, that fire has no vendetta against you. See, there's a part of God that has a vendetta, but the God's nature, watch this, it's not personal. It is, watch it, it is naturally hostile to our nature. So you take fire and you put wood in it, and guess what? The nature of fire burns up wood because the nature of wood is so that it cannot be with fire without being burned up. Not personal. The fire doesn't say because you're wood, I'm going to consume you. It's the nature. Watch this. We were by nature children of wrath, which means God's response to us was wrath. Right? If, if, if there's a cat running across the street and you got your pit bull, your Rottweiler, or whatever, your chihuahua, whatever it is, that dog doesn't have to think, hmm, there's a cat. Should I bark at it? There's something about the nature of a dog that almost reflexively barks at a cat. The nature of God when it comes to sin is that it, he, he's naturally wrathful. That's bad news. That's bad news if you're in sin. Do you know why? Because it means God naturally is against you. That means it ain't even personal. That means if you wanted to live with God forever, you couldn't. Because his nature would tear you apart. The Hebrew writer says, our God is a consuming fire. Go to John chapter 3, verse 36. Say amen if you're understanding this. Now, I'm telling you the bad news. And the reason why I got to tell you the bad news is because the value of the good news comes from the depth of the bad news. We'll value the good news, but we need to know the bad news. The bad news is on your good day, on your good day as a sinner, God is naturally wrathful toward you. His wrath is naturally, you are an object of his wrath. You and I as sinners are objects of the wrath of God. So here's the good news. You ready to hear the good news? Because gospel means good news. Good news is this. It doesn't have to be that way. God loved us so much that he made a way for us to not have a nature that makes him respond in wrath. John 3:36 says what? He who believes in the son has eternal Here it life. is. He who believes and that's the beginning of the gospel. You got to, once you hear it, you got to believe in Jesus. You're not just believing in a message, you're believing in a man. He that believeth in the Son, read. But he who does not obey the Son will not see but life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life. Will not see life. But the wrath of God. But, uh, but guess what's on him? The wrath. Of God. That means everybody that doesn't trust and believe on Jesus has no kind of response from God than wrath. That means, right? So the good news is if you chose Jesus, God's presence doesn't destroy you. And I'm going to show you what it's like. And I, I, I've done this illustration before, but not visually. So I asked Brother Maurice to get me this because there's this a science to pots. Some of you cook pretty good. I know I've had your cooking. And you cook certain things. Like I know there's some seniors in the back that cook certain things, black eyed peas and collard greens. And if you ever want me to say something publicly good about your cooking, then send me a plate. Anyway, so, so, so the wrath of God is like fire. And if you put black-eyed peas on the stove, just on the eye of the stove and turn the fire on, 
Don't give them to me. Maybe you want eggs, right? If you take an egg and you put it on the stove and you turn the fire up, that egg, watch this, won't survive. So whoever came up with this is smart. This thing goes in between the fire and the egg. Water is at it. Y'all missing me. Some of y'all missing me. So now watch this. The egg and the fire are not in a hostile relationship. But the fire has to heat something up directly. So the pot takes the heat so that the egg can benefit from the heat. A long time ago on Golgotha and Calvary stood a rugged cross and the nature of the Son of Man was so to where he can take the heat of the wrath of God. Those nails were the wrath of God. Those thorns were the wrath of God. That spear was the wrath of God. But we couldn't take it and so he took it so that we can benefit and he suffered. Does that make sense? That's the good news. That he was the go-between. And he said, I'll take the heat. I'll take the fire. So that you can benefit from the heat. And somewhere in this process, some water has to be added. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now, I'm going to tell you something about the wrath of God that's, that's quite interesting. Is that when you, bad news flash, bad news flash. When you're not saved, you're the object of wrath. Okay, I could give a host of scriptures on the wrath of God. But, uh, you know, Romans 1, 16, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed. Two verses later, it says, the wrath of God is revealed. So, I, watch this. The gospel shows the wrath and the righteousness of God. Okay? If you are not saved, you are an object of God's wrath. If you have not responded to the gospel, you are not saved. Okay? We're talking about the gospel. Second, Corinthians, Second Thessalonians 1 and 7. I'll need you to go there really quick. Really quick. Get it real quick. Really quick. Second Thessalonians 1 and 7. It says something like, to you who are troubled, rest with us. Watch this. When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those that, no two categories of people or maybe just the same. He's taking vengeance on people that don't know God and obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you why that works like that. That means when Jesus comes again, if you have not obeyed the gospel, you can't, you, 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 you're not saved. And if you're not saved, you're not safe. If you're not saved, you're not safe. There are some of you that have been coming to church, but you have not obeyed the gospel. Coming to church won't do it, baby. You got to be saved. You got to obey the gospel. And I'm going to tell you why. Because heaven is not only God's love manifests toward us, but heaven is God's wrath working for us. 
Why do you say God's wrath working for us? Just the other day, Kimball sock game. Boom, 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 boom. You gonna oh you, you you trying to be hard at a basketball game? You're gonna shoot at a basketball game? That's what they were saying on the video. Right? This world is messed up. Right? So here's what's God, what God's wrath does. When you obey the gospel, you're no longer an object of his wrath. Right? Because what you did is you trusted in the one who became the object of his wrath so that now you can become the object of his righteousness. So when you decide, I'm going to give my life to Jesus, you go from being the object of his wrath to being the object of his righteousness. Because you trusted in the one who for your sake and for my sake became the object of his wrath. Say amen if you're understanding this. When, when, we, when the last day comes, heaven, the only way for heaven to be a place of peace is the people who break peace can't be there. So how is it God's wrath working for us? Heaven is a place where God will not let any defiled thing come in. Because it wouldn't be heaven if you had to deal with some of the hellish things and hellish people that don't choose God down here. So God takes his wrath, turns it against those who would downgrade the place of eternal rest so that heaven becomes protected and remains a place of peace. The best illustration I can give you was that God's people were supposed to be in the wilderness. So watch this. His people, he opened up the Red Sea and let them go and showed his righteousness. Then he turned and to Pharaoh because Pharaoh was not invited to be in the wilderness. And with the same act in reverse, he let the waters come down, showed wrath over here, showed righteousness over here, so that over here will remain a place of peace. When you choose Jesus, God turns his wrath against those who are not obedient to the gospel. I mean, you don't want to have to be in heaven worried about somebody stealing your wings. And I, I know that was bad. That was bad. Okay. But you get my point, right? Now, you don't want to be in heaven and some, you bump into somebody and they're like, what's up with it? <laughs> heaven is not that kind of place. Bible says in Revelation, nothing that defileth shall be in that city. Why? Because God turns his wrath to the objects of his wrath and his righteousness to the objects of his righteousness. So when he comes again, Jesus comes again, he has two orders of business. The first order of business is to take home those who obeyed the gospel. The second order of business is to judge those who didn't. Now, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. How do I obey the gospel? Somebody said, well, be baptized. Keep your baptism. That's a bad first answer. I'm going to tell you why that's a bad first answer. Because ain't nothing in that water going to change you. I was baptized. That don't mean nothing. The devil's going to be baptized for eternity. There's a lake of fire there. Here's what you do. You trust that as messed up as you are, as sinful in action and in nature, you trust that Jesus can cover your unrighteousness. His blood covers my sin. You trust that. I'm going to tell you, the Corinthian church had to be reminded because they were living like they were not covered. 
Here's what happens psychologically when you forget you're covered. Guilt comes in. Then you slide into a system of merit. Watch this. This is how it happens. This is how it happened in my life. Maybe it happened in your life. You forget that you can't earn God's grace. But because you feel so guilty and you're no longer trusting the blood of Christ, you slide into trying to make up for what you did. Instead of trusting the one whose blood covered what you did. The problem when you do that is it leads to deeper depression. Because on your best day, when you make up for one thing you did, you find yourself doing something else that you owe for now. I wish I had a witness in the house. So now you got guilt and shame and you're walking in constant guilt and shame and you feel like your bill is higher than you can pay and my brothers and sisters it is. Stop trying to trust your behavior and your merit and get back to trusting the blood of Jesus Christ. That means it didn't just pay for your behavior sins but it paid for your sin nature. It didn't just pay for the sins of the past but the blood of Jesus flows ahead of you so that when you get to Wednesday and you're going to do something you have no business doing, the blood of Jesus is waiting to cleanse you if you turn your heart to God. So, so this is what you do. You trust. Do you believe that Jesus has covered your sins. Now, if you believe that, because you're not going to get it right. You're not, not going to get it right. Did y'all think I had it right? Please don't get it twisted. You see me in a suit. We see each other one day a week. You think I got it all right. No. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Here's a little secret. Leaders, preachers, elders, deacons, the deeper your anointing, the deeper your demons. The devil doesn't use junior high school temptation on university students. So none one of us get it right. So we constantly trust in Lord. And every now and then in your low place, Lord, will your blood cover this? And you know what Jesus says? It already has. Now, if you believe that, if you believe that, if you believe in the blood, the cleansing blood of Christ, the redeeming blood of Christ, you change your mind. Why? Because Jesus wants you to follow him. And you can't follow Jesus and go your own way at the same time. So you change your mind. That means to change your mind. That means to repent. That's what repentance is. It means, you know what? I'm ready. I'm done. Now watch this. It doesn't mean that you instantly don't like those things anymore. I want to dispel some myths. All right? And you get high all the time and get drunk. And repentance, somebody thinks, sometimes we think repentance means I'm done. I don't like that anymore. That's self-lying. That's self-deceit. You still like it. You still like it. Don't lie. Wilding out, you still like it. See, see what you do is, watch this, you change your mind. And the Lord will change your appetite. That's what happens. But you got to change your mind so that he's not changing an appetite that you're steady running back to. Are you understanding this? That's repentance. The Bible says, except you repent, you will perish. That's the bad news. If the bad news is if you don't repent, you'll perish. The good news is if you repent, you'll have life everlasting. 
So you, you repent. That means to turn around. That means to change your mind. I'm ready. I know this is what I was doing. I know this is what I like. I know this is who I, I was. But, Lord, if you would have me, I'm willing to give myself to you to change me. I'm all I got. Now, Lord, you know I can't do it. See, here's the beautiful thing about it. God says you change your mind. Change your mind, but you can't change your life. But if you change your mind, I'll change your life. You get it? You can't do it yourself, okay? Then, 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 then what you do is you, you, you become a walking confession. See, it's not just verbal. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, right? Some of y'all don't even remember the day you did it, right? Some of you repeated it, and some of you just said it, right? They said, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Some of you said, yes. <laughs> and then some of you said, I believe with all my heart that Jesus is the Christ. There's no magic in a formula. There's no magic in that formula. Uh, sorry to bust your bubble. There is no magic in that formula, none whatsoever. If you believe it, you say it, you show it, you demonstrate it. Okay? You demonstrate it. So, you know, people real technical there. Well, you got to say it with your mouth. What about a mute who can't talk? Is he doomed? No. It, it's a public acknowledgement. And you do it with your, you can do it with your lips and you do it with your life. As a matter of fact, it does not matter if you did it with your lips if you refuse to do it with your life. Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. But if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father, which is in heaven. Amen. Amen. Like the, like the shameful married man hides his ring in the presence of an attractive woman. The shameful Christian hides his Christianity in the presence of influential sinners. You want to intercept the realization of association. Okay. Now, now uh, that's, that was not an indictment. If you see a married man that don't, don't have his ring, he ain't hiding it necessarily. Don't be judgmental. Don't say ouch unless I hit you. That was just an allegory. And then be baptized. So I said, well, why do I have to be baptized? One, because Jesus said it. But two, watch this. It is a reenactment into life of what Jesus acted in death. He died. He was buried. And he rose. And baptism is iconic of dying to sin, being buried, and rising to walk in newness of life. That's the second reason. The third reason is while baptism and the gospel and your response in being baptized washes sin away, it does not change you. Baptism doesn't change you. Okay? It will, watch this, if you baptize in faith, it'll change your status, but it won't change your life. So the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now watch this. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That means Jesus through his blood. And when you're baptized, you, your sins are washed away. And then he gives you his spirit so that you can begin the journey of transformation. Does that make sense? So what does that mean? Does that mean, you know, I'm at, no, it means from that point, it's a journey to a, to, now watch this, not to a life of arrogant elevation, but to a life, watch this, it is a demotion and promotion at the same time. You're demoted, you're demoted to sin and promoted in righteousness. And you walk in the light. The reason why you don't stand there is because it's a journey. And if you're just standing there, you're not making a journey. You grow. Now watch this. He doesn't protect you from bad situations because bad situations strengthen you in the journey. Stop saying you patient 
when you ain't been in those situations that try your patience. Don't trust yourself. I'm pretty patient. Oh, really? Because God will test you. Or you say, I'm over that. It's easy to say you're over that when that is not messing with you. Has anybody said you over something that wasn't messing with you anymore? Don't trust that. But don't run from it. Because every enemy I had, I needed. <laughs> there are some things that don't even hurt anymore because of some of my enemies. Hello? Yeah, yeah, you thought by hit me like this and hit me and hit me and hit me, it was going to make me give up. No, what it did is it strengthened that arm. Now when you hit me, if you didn't tell me, I wouldn't even know it. The Holy Spirit takes things that would destroy other people and refines you. Now, here's the thing. If you're ready to be saved today, you, it's your decision, but you have to make it. And not making it is making it. Well, if you leave out of here unsaved, you have made a decision to reject the blood. You have refused the good news. You refused it. You get to your doctor's office, you get a phone call, and the phone call says, uh, we need you to come in. We need you to come in. Um, can you tell me over the phone? Ma'am, please come in. Sir, come in. So you come. Nervous as all get out. Trying to be all hard as a man. On your uh, coochie, coochie, kooski, whatever that is. Gucci? Coochie? Cool Modi? I love you, man. You're trying, to, you're trying to be hard. You know how men do, right? You get there. you sit and that's tormenting because the doctor never sees you as soon as you get to the back office right so you're sitting in this empty room and you're just sitting there just Doctor comes in with his chart and he says, Sir, ma'am, got bad news. And we checked your blood work and we did the biopsy. And we found that you are you have a rare form a rare form of cancer that is aggressive. And you're sitting there. Come with me. And in that moment, all hope All you're sitting there with is bad news. But then right at that moment, he says, but there is good news. Do you see how you just felt? The Old Testament is God's bad news that you can't please him. You can't keep that law. You can't make him happy. There's a God that has a standard you cannot keep. And because of that, all of us are lost. But all in the New Testament, Jesus steps on the scene and says, but I have good news. 
At that point, the bad news took you so low that whatever he says, you need to do. And the good news, you'd be willing to do. If you have not obeyed the gospel, you're lost. But I have good news. Jesus says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Stand to your feet. If you are ready to be saved today, come now. Come down. Ministers are waiting to receive you. Somebody here is right on the edge. And now, now this is what the devil's going to kick in. Well, I don't want to do that. I don't want, it's too many people. It could be a doctor's office full of people. But when he tells you that good news of hope, you're not going to let any personality, any person, any suit-wearing, dress-wearing person stop you from taking advantage of the good news. And I believe somebody here today, you need to give your life to Jesus. You've been coming to church, but you hadn't come to Jesus. What a waste to spend all your time coming to church and not come to Jesus. It's like a football player going to the practice camp but never being on the team. Jesus says, the day you hear my voice, don't make your mind hard. Don't put up a wall. Harden not your heart. He says, the day you hear my voice, don't put up a resistance. He says, if any man come as I'm knocking and open up the door I will come into his heart and sup with him and he with me don't you need don't you get it all of that stuff you survived you didn't survive it because you were already right you survived it because God is being long suffering he's protecting you long enough for you to obey the gospel. His death, your death, his burial, your burial, his resurrection, your resurrection. So come now. Maybe you're here and you're like the Corinthian church and you forgot. He paid for that. He paid for that. He was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. And maybe you haven't been walking in your healing. You're asking God for something he already gave you, but you're not tapping into it. It's time for you to come.